simply prayer. We're going to go down in the story of Daniel. I've grown up being a son of a mechanic. And my dad was a very good mechanic. And also, I've grown up being son of a mechanic with rare tools. Because during communist times, it wasn't the market that you could go and buy tools. So the tools were very precious uh, for my dad. And there were certain tools in the workshop that I could mess around with. And there were certain tools that I wouldn't even be allowed to throw my eyes just to touch them because they were very rare. His speciality was to recondition engines and there were certain elements um, like um, wrenches and stuff that he needed to use in order to get into those things. So as I was preparing about the series, I think personally I try to approach the whole theme of prayer as those things that we can mess around with. That even if I break those tools, it's not going to happen anything to my dad's workshop. And I've really been struck about the preciousness and the importance and the significance of prayer. We're going to be looking at Daniel. And as we um, saw in the beginning of the service from the video, Daniel happens to be leading a group of people who are not his own. He happens to be um, appointed because he was diligent, because he was faithful, because he was such a good administrator. He happens to be uh, appointed as one of the three key people in, uh, in this particular empire where Darius was the, the king, the emperor, the, 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 the boss. And in the midst of this, Daniel continues to be faithful to what God had called him to be, although he's doing his job, he's doing his business. So in the midst of this, um, there were people who, who saw how good Daniel was. And if you can remember from the DVD clip, was that they wanted to find out things that they could find him faulty about, but they couldn't. So they needed to plot against him in order to find him doing something which he was very good at. So here we say, chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, we're going to start with verse 4. Or verse 3. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps trying to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct to government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, this man said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless 
He has to do something with the law of his gods. So they set up this plot to go to the king and saying, King, we've got this good idea. Do you want to be popular? Do you want for people to worship you? Yes. Well, why don't you declare a decree, decree that for the next 30 days, nobody is to worship in this poly kind of, everybody worship their own gods and stuff like that, that they worship only you and then we'll keep very strict to that rule. And the king says, well, why not? Popular, worshipful, I deserve it. Without thinking, he, the Bible says that he puts on this decree that in the next 30 days, anyone who worships any other gods other than the king Darius is going to be thrown in the lion's den. Now, I know that the story is very popular, and I know that the danger is that we can miss things because it has become so popular. But it's something very distinguished here that we read about Daniel, which is very, very interesting. The decree is put into place and while the decree is being issued, they know that they've got Daniel in their hands now. Because they know, they've seen, they've noticed that there is something that Daniel does which is different than the rest of the administrators, which is the rest of the leaders. So, there you go. The decree is issued. You read verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree has been published, he went home to his upstairs room with a window open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he has done before. Then this man went a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. One thing that is quite obvious about Daniel's prayer is that he was, with his attitude towards God, um, his prayer for life was noticeable. People not only knew where he stood with his God, because they knew, I mean, the administrator said, we know where to get him in his, in his relationship to his God. But the administrators knew on what grounds and how he stood with his relationship with his God. This is quite noticeable. This is quite different. Because in such a busy, in such a a good, well-administrated empire, the status quo is you work hard, you're going to achieve much, and you're going to be promoted to the highest. 
And perhaps Daniel did that. He worked hard. He was a good administrator. There were certain skills that he had. Otherwise, he would not have been appointed. But there was something else here that was noticeably different from the rest of the administrators. And was his walk with God, which actually was calibrated, was affirmed, and was really established on that constant prayerful attitude that he had. Another thing that is very, very interesting that we learn here is that he did that three times a day just as he has done before. But there is an element of his prayer which is interesting here. It says, he prayed to his God, giving thanks. Now, for a man of his caliber, for a man of this top administrator of the king, I think there is a lot of, well, there is very little that you're going to lack materially. And yet, he came to this place of being thankful. So not only Daniel's prayer life was noticeable, but I think it was countercultural. Gratitude is quite countercultural in this day. It was countercultural in the days of Jesus. Do you remember the story of the ten people who were affected by leprosy? Have I said it right, Dr. Cordell? I have. Only one of them turned. One waited to see if the cure was real. The other one waited to see if it would last. One said he is going to see Jesus a little bit later. One decided that he had never had been affected by leprosy. The other one said he would have gotten well anyway. The other guy gave his glory to the priests. The other one said, oh well, Jesus didn't really do anything. And the other said, any rabbi could have done this. And the last or the ninth one said, I was already much improved. I came to Jesus anyway. But only one of them turn to him to thank him for what he has done. Gratitude is a bit countercultural because we live in a day and age where we take things for granted. It's a bit like going with what Jane shared earlier on about expectations. We've, we have expectations, and we want for those expectations to be met because we're entitled. And I'm not saying something to do with Noah's Ark here in particular, but I'm just saying as humans, we work on the basis of those expectations. And I think 
These are the things. It's the things that we think we are entitled that put us off our dependence and more so our gratitude to God. But Daniel was well off. He was quite a good administrator. He's been going through two or three different empires and was still keeping the same position. And yet, as he had done before, he went to the same place and prayed to his God three times a day, giving thanks in his heart. What does prayer look like? Is it something that is noticeable? Well, that's what the Pharisees were told of because they were praying with big words and stuff like that. And this is not what the text is suggesting here. But what is our prayer life like? What is it, what is the level of our gratitude? Are we coming to God with a mentality of entitlement? Or are we coming to God with a mentality of relying on him for whatever the future holds. Let's go back to Daniel. I love that phrase, and it has only hit me this week when I was reading it. Daniel went to his room to do this three times, this prayer, three times before, sorry, three times a day, as he had done before. I think there is an attitude here that prayer does not come necessarily and shouldn't come out of a place of crisis. Prayer comes from that place of diligence, of that place of constant rapport, constant relationship with God. And As a human being, as a Christian, I really struggle with prayer. And I don't struggle with the moments when I'm up for prayer and I would like to pray. I struggle with the moments when I'm not up for it. And perhaps this is one area that God is wanting me to change this year. Not perhaps, but I think it's one of the areas that God wants me to change this year. Because it's that, that element of urgency that whenever there is trouble, I know that I'm more diligent and more vulnerable and more desperate to go on my knees and say, God, help me. My problem is when I don't feel like praying. And perhaps you've got the same problem. Perhaps you struggle with that. But there is this element of constant attitude that is not out of crisis. And funny enough, ironically enough, it fits very well with our culture. In the midst of busyness, there is constancy in prayer. Do you think Daniel was not busy? And yet, he, as he has done before, decided that the most important thing for him is to continue 
to pray three times a day. Not only there was a matter of business here, but I think crisis, I know that there is that element that we, 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 we reflect a lot when we are more, when we've got something happening to us. But look at the attitude that kind of helped Daniel to go through this crisis because, because he knew that his relationship and his prayer life and his, his encounter with God was so solid. So instead of worrying, instead of panicking with the issuing of this decree, he went to his room. Well, I can learn from Daniel this morning. And actually, I'll be very honest with you, I want to have 10% of that attitude that out of my business and out of the crisis that happened in my week, that I don't respond on the basis of what is now, but I respond on the basis of what is there. And the last thing is that Daniel's prayer got him in trouble. His relationship with God trumped any consequence that would have come if he would have disobeyed the decree of the king. It's a little bit like Peter's attitude in the book of Acts. Guys, we have to choose whether we please God or man, and we can't please both. But our attitude, says Peter, is to please God. And I think it's the same attitude as, as, as Daniel has here. And it's very interesting because, again, it's countercultural. Is something that you would be looked down upon. You'd be looked as stupid for doing that. Because in the end of the day, why would you have to give up? Why would you have to give up the role? And of all things, it's stupid enough because you're going to get killed. You're going to be thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel listens to the news of this decree being issued. And he knows that the lion's den, although scary, although terrible, cannot steal from him the place of prayer and relationship that is God in his heart with God. Darius or the emperor or the whole system cannot steal from Daniel what he has already got there implanted, founded, built on because it's too precious for him. It's so precious that he is prepared to be eaten by lions. What a price to pay 
What a fantastic character and an example. And that's why I say with you today, and I'm being very honest here, I'd love, I'd love to have even 10% of that attitude. I'd like to have 10% of that practice that actually, when it comes to prayer, I'm saying that the busyness, the phone calls, the emails, the demands cannot overrule my time with God. And I pray and I wish it's the same for you. You're going to say, well, I've struggled quite a bit with prayer. Perhaps you've said that you've struggled because you're too busy or because there's so much going on and it's not the, the business, but it's more to do with the intensity of the things that are coming your way. And you're saying, but I want to start. I want to refresh. I want to reestablish my prayer life. And where, where do I start? What do I do? Well, I've started doing something different this year, which has helped me to prioritize and to, to give prayer time and thing. I think the best place to start is go back to the scriptures and read a psalm a day or read two verses from a psalm a day and meditate and use them as prayer. I think if, if, if there is any more Brutal honesty in the scriptures is the book of Psalms. When the psalmist is having a terrible day, and yet in the midst of this terribleness, he knows that God is still in charge. I'm not saying that we go to the book of Psalms because we're struggling and we say, oh, let's, let's identify with the psalmist so we can feel sorry for ourselves. What I'm saying is that all those are written prayers. And sometimes going to written prayers is like going back to an old song that you can remember the tune and you can remember the lyrics and you can remember why that song is so meaningful for you. I'd like to encourage us to, to, to do that a little bit with the book of Psalms. Um, one th- book that has been very interesting that has helped me is a book written from Tim Keller, and I think I've mentioned it with a few of you, called My Rock and My Refuge. Tim Keller goes again through all the Psalms and he's got some, some ideas there and a prayer in the end. I'm not saying that we should all do that, but I think for me, starting at the book of Psalms is a good place. The other thing that I want... Pardon? Oh, okay, sorry. I thought somebody asked um, the question. Um, The other thing that is helpful is ask somebody to ask you the question, how has your prayer life been? And I think that's a difficult question. And I'm not saying that we need to make it public with the whole church. You can do it if you want. It's no problem. But ask that question. So when we're asked how the prayer life is, that we can be honest in saying, um, 
This is what it is. God's word has been very challenging for me this week and this particular passage with Daniel. Is my prayer life noticeable? And I'm not saying here about the fiery sake, noticeable things. I'm saying here that is it making a difference? Are people seeing that because of my walk with God, I'm different to the point of getting in trouble? Is my prayer colored with gratitude? Is my prayer constant in the midst of busyness and not necessarily crisis? And is the culture, friends, family, stealing from me the heart of prayer? And what I'm going to do about that? These are questions that I ask myself, and these are the questions that I throw them in the middle.